Hello and welcome to the Estate Planners Podcast. My name is Anthony Brinkman and this is the place for will writers, estate planners and solicitors that are interested in learning the tips, tools and technicalities to best help their clients. This is episode 8 entitled Knowledge and Approval. Let's begin this episode with the most basic understanding of this concept, knowledge and approval. The testator must know the contents of the will and must approve of those contents. If the testator doesn't know the contents of the will or does not approve of the contents, then the will is not valid. This concept can sometimes be confused with that of mental capacity. Certainly there's some overlap between the two areas, And if a will is to be contested on the grounds of mental capacity, then lack of knowledge and approval might also be a factor. But, as we will see, there are some distinct differences, and having some appreciation of those differences can help you identify and handle situations that might, at some point, open the door to a successful challenge of the will that you've prepared. Sticking with the topic of mental capacity for a moment... If the testator has mental capacity, then knowledge and approval of the will is presumed to be present, except in two specific circumstances. Number one, the testator is blind, dumb or illiterate. And number two, the will has been made in suspicious circumstances, for example, where the will has been drafted by a beneficiary. If you imagine a situation in which the testator has a sight impairment, and is unable to read the will themselves. One solution to employ would be to have the will read over to them. But that could be tricky if the testator's witnesses are present, and the testator wants to keep the contents private. Of course, they could ask the witnesses to leave until the will has been read, but we then have the minutiae of that moment coming into play. And the details matter. What happened exactly matters. Let's expand on this example a little bit more. Suppose that you are sat in the client's living room and the client has a sight impairment. You're halfway through reading the will to the testator. There's a knock at the door and the testator lets his two neighbours in who are going to be the witnesses. You ask if he is comfortable continuing the reading of the will with the neighbours present and he says, Oh, it's fine. I know what's in there and I'm fine with it. Now this is a little awkward, isn't it? He's essentially now just confirmed to you and the witnesses that he has not fully had the will read over to him. He said that he knows what's in there, but how do the witnesses know that? You clearly need to address this and you need to ensure that it's fully read. But your client is, let's say, a rather insistent and strong-willed individual. There's an uncomfortable atmosphere now all of a sudden and you're distinctly aware of the fact that the key point in the will, the disinheritance, let's say, of his eldest child from a previous relationship, that has not yet been read. And this is the most likely point of contest for this will. Problem. Now, I'm obviously giving you a very unusual, very specific and perhaps quite unlikely situation here. But the point is that in those unusual situations, at those unusual times when odd things happen, 
and odd things do happen from time to time, it is the details, often the very tiniest of details, that will make or break the case that the court hears. And don't forget, a challenge to a will can happen years in the future, and the recollections of witnesses and yourself might be rather hazy. As a little side note here, this is where the quality of your attendance notes is going to be very important. If you have detailed the sequence of events, the exact moment-by-moment details that happened, then you no longer need to rely on your memory if anything comes up in the future. Back to our example. If you accept the sight-impaired testator's insistence on not continuing to read the will and simply progress straight to the signing and witnessing, then the part of the will that has not been read would potentially be open to a challenge on the grounds of lack of knowledge of the contents. So you need to confront this awkward moment where he's saying that it's fine and ensure that the will is fully read to the very end. In a previous episode entitled Making the Most of Attestations, we looked at a good structure for those attestation meetings and that might be worth you reviewing after you've listened to this episode. The testator should acknowledge to the witnesses that he has read the will or in this example, had the will read to him, and that he has approved the contents. The other situation where knowledge and approval would not necessarily be presumed was where there are suspicious circumstances. There was a case in 2005, Vaughan and others versus Vaughan, and this is a classic example of a case where the last will of the testator was found to be invalid on the grounds of knowledge and approval. The judge in this case found that the facts led themselves to being, quote, bristled with suspicious circumstances, end quote. Love that phrase, bristled with suspicious circumstances. Instructions for the will were given by a beneficiary and the testator took no advice in relation to the will. It was suggested that a medical opinion be obtained to back up the testator's mental capacity, but this advice was ignored by the beneficiary. The testator did not read over the will at the time it was executed, and accordingly the judge found that the testator did not have the necessary knowledge and approval. Knowledge and approval cases are quite rare, especially where the challenge on this basis stands alone from any other basis for a challenge. Proving lack of knowledge and approval can be difficult. Despite this, in 2013 there were actually three cases that came to court, Topiapsky versus Topiapsky was a case where the testator had made a will in 2007 and then another in 2009. The former will left the estate equally between his two children and the latter will left the whole estate to just one child. The disinherited child brought a claim to set aside the 2009 will on the basis that the testator's capacity was so impaired that they were unable to know and approve of the contents. The medical evidence confirmed that although it wasn't possible to conclusively decide retrospectively whether the testator had capacity, the nature of the condition the testator had meant it would have affected the ability to know and approve of the contents of the will. This is one of those examples where there is a crossover between capacity and knowledge and approval. Another of those 2013 cases was Burgess versus Hawes, where one of the beneficiaries, the 
daughter, in this case, Julie, had been a, quote, controlling factor, end quote, in the arrangement of making the will. This was, again, one of those instances of suspicious circumstances that opened the door to a challenge on that basis. But what are the other suspicious circumstances? What else constitutes being classified as suspicious? Well, firstly, that the will is homemade and that there's been no professional advice sought in its execution. This is, by the way, one very good reason for people to come to a professional to have their will drawn up. If you've ever come up against that, I can make a will myself type of objection from somebody. Then there's the fact that the will contains spelling mistakes and or uses language which would not have been used or understood by the testator. There was a case in 2018, Gupta vs Gupta, in which a widow made a will back in 1998 when her husband was still alive. That will left her residence, her main residence, to one of her three children and for her residuary estate to be equally shared between all three children. One of her two children who didn't inherit the residence challenged the will on the basis that she lacked knowledge and approval of the content, citing four background matters to excite the suspicion and vigilance of the court, one of which was that the testatrix had limited understanding and inability to comprehend written and spoken English. On this specific point, the judge concluded that whilst there was a conflict in relation to the testatrix's language skills, ultimately the testatrix did naturally converse with some people in Hindi, her first language, and with others in English, who perhaps didn't speak Hindi. There was further evidence from her carers indicating that she had at least a modest understanding of the English language. Another of those situations that might indicate there are suspicious circumstances are that the will contains untrue statements and or contains features which are uncharacteristic for the testator. I recall a situation which wasn't specifically about a will that was being contested on the grounds of knowledge and approval, but it was a situation that happened a few years ago where a testator was in the process of making a will with us. There was some correspondence by email prior to the first meeting and then immediately after the first meeting. She was polite, she was somewhat timid in her language and she made quite a few spelling mistakes and quite a few grammatical mistakes in those emails. She'd recently got married and she was making provision for her new husband by way of a life interest trust in the property that she owned but ultimately was leaving her estate to her two children. There was then quite a sudden and dramatic change in the tone and the quality of her emails that instructed us to remove the life interest trust, leave the property outright to her new husband and leave the residue equally to her two children and his two children. Now we suspected that these emails were actually now coming from the new husband using her email address. Also she suddenly then at the same time refused to talk to us on the phone and also was insisting that she would arrange the signing and witnessing herself so for the final wills to be sent by post. Now of course we didn't comply with this and we actually ended up refunding the client the money instead of going ahead and this is perhaps more of an undue influence matter 
but as you can see, it would also cross over into the land of knowledge and approval. Another of those suspicious circumstances is that the will contains a radical change in dispositions, made without any particular explanation. That's kind of what happened in that example that I just gave you before there. There was early on in that interaction with the client, there was a quite clear instruction for the life interest trust. She was clearly wanting to ensure that her children benefited. And then all of a sudden, communication lines start to get cut. And the only way of communicating is by email. Very suspicious is that. Um, and there was no uh, rational explanation for her change of heart. Another situation would be that the relationship of the beneficiary and the testator wasn't particularly close. I recall one phone call that we got from an angry daughter whose father had recently passed away and she had found some letters from us along with a will that left the whole estate to somebody called Barbara. Who is this Barbara? The daughter was asking. Now we looked up the will and we found that the will we had made left everything to the testator's two daughters. It turned out that the testator had made another will two weeks before his death, leaving the estate in its entirety to his cleaner, Barbara. Now, fortunately, Barbara was very embarrassed by this. She said that she knew nothing of this will or, in fact, of the testator's apparent affections. And also, fortunately, the testator had signed the will himself, but he'd not had it witnessed. So the will that we had made stood. Other suspicious circumstances, the witnesses to the will were not sufficiently independent. Another of those suspicious circumstances would be where there is evidence of the beneficiary having acted dishonestly or suspiciously or against the interests of the testator and or having played a central role in the making of the will. You'll recall the earlier case we looked at where Julie, the daughter, had been a controlling factor She'd arranged the appointment with the solicitor. She'd been there at the uh, instruction-taking appointment. She'd been the one who took the testator to the solicitors to have it signed and witnessed. There was, there was a lot of controlling of the making of that will by the daughter, who was then one of the main beneficiaries. And finally, that there is evidence generally of the testator's mind failing, but that they retained testamentary capacity. So in other words, that they potentially had testamentary capacity, but there was something that was starting to slip as far as their ability to comprehend contents of the will, to know the contents of the will, etc. In these situations, there would be grounds to look further into the potential for a lack of knowledge and approval of the contents of the will. So what can you do about this? How can you ensure that you have done all you can to ensure knowledge and approval? Well, one key point is to be present whenever you can be present at the point of attestation and to follow a solid and standard procedure in those meetings. Again, I refer you to the earlier episode that we did on that procedure. Take good notes, especially where there's something that comes up which is unexpected or unusual. Satisfy yourself as much as possible that the testator does know and approve the contents of the will. And finally, if any of those suspicious circumstances present themselves, well then you've just got to take extra care, extra precautions and pull the string. In other words, dig deeper, find out what's at the end of that situation. If something has 
made you suspicious or made you unsettled in some way? Well, what is that? Find out, pull the string on what that situation is. And the times when you really got to ramp that up is, of course, when there is something contentious in the will itself. In those situations, you've got to do all that you can to close down every potential area for future contest of that will. So bear in mind that knowledge and approval is one of those areas. All right. So once again, I hope you have found this useful. Please do like and subscribe to this podcast if you're finding it helpful. You can also leave feedback, certainly in the Podbean application. So until next time, I wish you all the best and thank you very much for listening.